Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey guys, welcome back to the Cowboy Stories and welcome to my interview with Wes O'Neill. Wes is 89 years old and he has a really cool story. He has handled cattle in multiple states, but he has spent the majority of his time in Texas. I'm excited for you all to listen and learn more about him. Are you ready for this? I hope. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to do it. I'm excited to hear your story. Well, I hope it'll be worth reading. I think, you know, I I think it's my life's been pretty vanilla. I've done a lot of stuff. But yeah. Well, I I just I've been thinking about it between my conversation with Boots and then the couple of conversations that, that we've had before this. And I was just thinking about how both of you are just so, so genuine and respectful and kind and dedicated to the cowboy way of life. And I was curious if both of you share those similar traits because of how you were raised in your childhood, or if that was just something that you two decided this is the kind of person I want to be. Well, you know, it comes from mother and dad for sure. But we, I, we had a humble beginning. And, but they taught us, I guess, you know, respect and how to treat other people. Were they involved in ranching also? Yeah, Dad was, he was cowboy. That's what, up until his health got bad. And, uh, he he quit cowboying in about 42, you know, right after the war started. We was on a ranch over there at Panhandle, Texas. And he he grossed seven hundred and twenty dollars for that year, wow. and there was there was four of us siblings, so he left the ranching and went to work for a road construction crew. And he done that about a year, then we come back to that country where we had been on a ranch and he went to work for the county, his county road foreman 
and that gave him Saturday and Sunday off that he could day work. And so he done that up until the time his health got bad and he had to quit. Mm-hmm. But I'll talk about that ranch with his own, you know, first seven or eight years of my life. Yeah, that's cool. So were yeah. did you guys did you guys have um responsibilities to help to help the family out and to help provide for everyone? Yes. You know, uh we both left school early, tenth grade or something after he got to where he couldn't work, so we went, you know, we left school, went to work and kind of contribute to helping them get along. Back in them days, I don't know if there was any kind of welfare or help or if there was, we didn't know about it. Probably wouldn't apply for it anyway, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, we both contributed for a long time. So even seeing all of the hardships of what it's like to live that kind of lifestyle, you still wanted to do it? That was never no question what I was going to do. It couldn't hardly wait to get to it. But... You know, even growing up, we had horses, milk cows, chickens, everything. We'd get up and milk, do chores before we catch school bus, come in, do the same thing. But it's been a pretty good life for me, I'd say, Lindsay. I, I know it's, you know, I've heard a lot of people say it, but kind of privilege to got to do, you know, what I wanted to do most of my life. Yeah. I think that's awesome when people get to do that. It, uh, I've always said, if you're going to be a cowboy, you accept the fact up front, you're never going to be rich. And you're going to be injured from time to time, but that goes that goes with the deal. Also, I said that cowboying is not an occupation; it's a way of life, and you've either got it. Or you ain't got it. In your words, how would you define the word cowboy? You know, he's a lot of things. But in my generation, you know, it. he's a man spent his life riding other people's horses working other people's cattle, living in other people's houses till he gets to where he can't do it anymore. And then they just 
move you off to town and hopefully you've managed to save enough to live comfortably. How about that? Yeah, that's good. I like that. It's a little better now. You know, uh, most of these ranches kind of got 401ks and mm. the pay's a little better, but so they kind of help set you up a little bit. Yeah, better. yeah. Back, you know, in in my in my young life when I started, you know, is ninety dollars a month, seven days a week, all that, and you couldn't save no money. But you probably out there on the ranch couldn't go town anyway, so. So where was the first place that you went and worked um, after you left home? I went to that Mel Davis ranch, and that's where I lived the first seven or eight years of my life. And it was cow and calf outfit, you know, and that's that's the only. There was a few oil wells there, but this this would have been in '49, so. There, they sold them calves right off in the cow. But we'd pen them, separate them, weigh them, kick them, then let them back together, turn them out in the river past what they call. It run right up to the stockyards there, the little old town of the forest. And then on shipping day, we'd throw them up there pin them in the stock pens, strip them off again, and then load them on the train and uh, turn the cows back out. And then after that, they sent me a camp down on the south side of the ranch just to look at that country, I didn't have no pickup or nothing, you know, none. It's just it's just a riding job. So I didn't stay there too long. I I didn't like batching. I couldn't cook. We just, <laughs> just had a wood stove, you know, is for mm. cooking and heating. And so I messed around. I stayed there probably a month. Maybe a little longer. Might have been two months. Got a job up the river there, four or five miles, to another cow ranch. But they had they had a bunkhouse and the cook, a couple of cowboys living in there. And so I got on there. And my job of the morning was to wrangle horses. They got up early. Wrangle horses, another cowboy there. His job was to milk, and they had cook. And then we'd harness team up and feed there. So, and I stayed there. I know that was before Christmas. I stayed there two or three months, and wound up at the JA's about the first of February in 1950. Okay. Stayed How there. How did you find out about that job? Boots was down there, and he 
he wrote me a letter and said there was a mound of horses if I wanted to come down there. So I wrote him back, told him when I needs to be there. It was, you know, that was first big ranching that I'd done. We grew up helping little ranches all our lives, so we was pretty well knew what was going on. It helps, I think, if you grow up on a ranch like we did. I see boys now, you know, they're good that don't ever start cowboy until they get out of high school or college and inside they want a cowboy. It's hard for them to catch up. If you grow up with it, you know, it's just kind of natural. But what would you say um was the the biggest thing that you had to get used to going from smaller ranches to a big ranch? Well, I don't I don't know, yeah. There was always a bigger crew on them small ranches. You was always short-handed. But a big ranch like Azar, they had 18 or 20 men, and they'd, they'd stake them horses at night and get an early start. That wagon boss would have that drive strung out by daylight. It just... It, He'd drop everybody off. Nobody moves till he gets plumb around. And then they what we call whistle off, you know, just outside man whistle. Next, and that way everybody start together. Hmm. But so there wasn't a whole lot of difference. It, we, we'd work shorthanded so much. We pretty well knew how to in line on drive where to get yeah but how many head of cattle did the JAs run back then they claimed 10,000 wow yeah it's 350,000 acres it they were unique and it was a close herd you know the seven years that I worked there they never bought. They bought one outside bull. They they had their own subject to register. Heard that they had five or six different pastures with just one bull in there and a set of cows, and they had identified those calves just like we do horses now. You know the sour brand on the jaw. And Mother brand on him somewhere where they wouldn't turn no bull out with his daughters. They could pretty well keep that straight. They didn't. They they never gathered the bulls. Oh, really? Just run out year round. Mister Word, the ranch manager, he claimed, you know. Uh, Calf any time is better than an open cow. And over the lifetime of a 
eight, nine, ten year old cow, she'd gain a calf. So that was his theory. So, but every time you throw the herd of cattle together, there was some sorting to do because it's different ages. They drove their cattle a lot. They always, in the spring, Brandon, we throw herd together that they would separate the bull, you know, pair them up, bulls from the heifers. Generally, one bunch would stay there, but the other bunch, they'd drive to wherever they're going to hold them. And in the fall, they'd have them steer calves already separated. We just, and they sold their calves right off them. Mm-hmm. Right off from the cows the first five years that I was there. And the last couple of years is pretty droughty. So we helped them through the winter and ship. One year we sent about 2,000 steers to Medicine Bow, Wyoming, for the summer and then went up there and shipped them that fall. The next year we done the same thing on we leased some grass up around Sterling, Colorado and summer there. So you have to go a long ways to try to get out of the drought. Yeah, uh yeah, I don't know. You know, I wasn't I was the wagon boss when we sent those darn things to Wyoming and went back up there and shipped them but Monty and C.H. done the land leasing. Mm. You know, how how they come about leasing there, we put, you know, we we loaded them on trains. There in Ashtola, there was this, in the, the railroad, was on the north side of 287 and shipping pans on the south side and that spur wasn't long enough for it was 40 cars they made up a special train to haul them we'd have to get to sheriff and highway patrol stop traffic which way when we was going to switch cars the spur wouldn't hold all of them, so we'd back five or six in there, load them, stop traffic, and haul them things to Rawlings, Wyoming, unloaded there and drove them down there to that ranch towards Medicine Bow. Hmm. Yeah. How many could you send on the train at a time? They'd put 35, 36, maybe 40 in there, you know. Mm-hmm. I think, and I, I'm not real, it was 40 cars, and I think it was about 2,000 head, so. That's way cool. Yeah. We seen a cowboy just stole the cowboy in the caboose <laughs> to, go, to go with them and yeah. just. I don't know, every time they'd stop for water, you know, he'd kind of walk up and down the sides there, see if anything's down or 
something. And also, at that time, 36 hours, as long as they could haul without loading and watering. And it's going to take about 40 hours. So we had told him, don't let them stop. <laughs> ain't, yeah. no way, ain't no way you and them railroaders could r- unload them things and load them back. So. <laughs> Yeah. They made it, they made it fine. They made it fine. But, yeah, that's one of the most unique places. Part of half of it is in out there canyons, but they was it was hot rat and Dutch oven. They had no stove. And the menu was beef and beans, taters, gravy. There wasn't no eggs or bacon or had a cook. He always had a helper, some old, you know, some young kid wanted to try it or some old man that's too old to do anything else. Help wash dry dishes and all water. Pulled that wagon with four big Percheron horses. And the lead team, old Tom and Jerry, was matched on and the wheel horses was a couple hundred pounds bigger than they were. They pulled the wagon in in the fall of 64. Monty's out of the He said uh, that he would never pull it out again. It, it got to where it was costing too much, and it's hard to get a wagon cooked. The cook had to drive that horse, you know, and there wasn't many people left that could do that. Bill Word was the manager there, and I was lucky to have got with him first, because he's the best ranch manager I think that I've, I got to work with. I learned more from him. You know, they all good cowboys and good cowmen on the places, but he was a leader of men. Somehow, he had the knack to make the lowest man on the totem pole feel like he was the most important man in the crew. So, but he didn't let nothing go. If he had a problem, he addressed it right there. Just He got on it, fixed it right quick before it festered any. So I always admired him for that and tried to, on the couple of wagon bossing jobs that I had, I tried to be as much like him as I could. Yeah, and I bet it was... It was nice to learn from somebody like that if they would stop and correct it immediately, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's easier to learn. He, yeah, and he didn't, you know, he didn't humiliate you in front of a bunch or embarrass you or nothing. He, he might just say, come ride off with me here a little bit. And just tell you, you know, away from the bunch, I don't like you doing that. That's not right. Let's do it this way. Nobody but you and him knew. Yeah. He was very good. 
And what was his name again? Bill Words. Yeah, he left a couple of years before I did. Lindsay and C.H. Long took over. He was awful good. He was good. And then Monty, you know what? Him and Monty, Monty Ritchie was the owner. They got crossways and so Monty fired him one morning. It was early eating breakfast there after they quit running the wagon. We was eating our bunkhouse at the headquarters. We was fixing to do something. C.H. come back in, handed me a bunch of keys, said, Monty fired me a while ago. So he had hired somebody else. I stayed about a month and left myself, but I uh, I left on good terms with Monty. He gave me a horse, just let me pick a horse. I kept that horse for a while. Finally, well, I went to work for Wagner's. I had, couldn't take him, so I got rid of him, but. I kind of I come into Clarendon there and piddled around a little while. When you left there? Yeah. Uh, the government was paying them old Sand Hill farmers $35 an acre not to plant crops. And I knew that lady that run that office, so I worked for her a month or through there just measuring. I'd, we'd go out and measure that land, stake it off for them guys, the part that they didn't want to plant. But I didn't like that, so... <laughs> <laughs> I went to work for an outfit, Canadian River Land and Cattle Company. They had bought part of the Matadors. They was, they was branding... I knew the wagon boss. I knew the manager and stuff. So I went up there going to help them. This is the shortest job I've ever had. I, it Boy, that, it was up in the panhandle. I'd come out of the brush country down there, six cedars and mesquites there on the J.A.s and the Paladura. I'd get on a horse there up there chanting. I could see where I was going to be in two hours if I trotted fast as I could go. So I just didn't like that. I stayed a couple of weeks. Yeah, I wouldn't like that either. I need some mountains or something. (laughs) Yeah, I I like to sneak up on them. And they burnt coal there. They burnt. Mesquite, strictly mesquite, just on fire pit. But Matadors had a stove. And we they pulled the wagon with a pickup, you know. And, but there's no wood up there. We burnt coal. They the same thing, you know. They're just raising beef, selling right off the cows. But one time when. Uh, one time when J.A.'s, we had them girlings there in Sterling, Colorado, while we was up there. 
that the Matadors had about that many over pretty close to us. They called us to see if we'd just pin theirs and load them for them. They wouldn't have to send the crew up there. We had to cross the Platte River, but it was a big, long steel bridge, you know, and uh, we'd have to get the sheriff to come out there and block traffic because he's right downtown there to get to the stockyards. But we told them we would, you know. We had done pin iron. We we didn't have no trouble crossing that bridge with ours or theirs. One yearling come out there by me and jumped as far as he could jump out in that water and cattails and went under I'm looking around to see if anybody seen him because I wasn't going after him. <laughs> when he come up, he turned around and swam right back, come in, back in the herd. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah, boy, that thing was wide there and running swell. <laughs> How tall is the bridge? You know it. That's been so long ago, but it it was it was pretty wide across there. And but I don't we didn't have to go up any. I don't mm. remember to get on it, you know, it's level with the road, but it's pretty pretty good ways across it and you just had them it was all steel, just bows all the way across there. It looked kinda spooky that <laughs> first day when we took our shoes there, but they took it pretty good. But one time, I'm kind of hopping around here. I don't know if you can straighten it up, but yeah, no, that's okay. That's perfect. I didn't. When I still the JAs, I meant to bring this up while ago. When we got through Brandon or just about in '51. Me, uh, Herschel Tipton, uh, a good cowboy part Indian, he drawed head rights from a tribe up there in Oklahoma somewhere. And I've heard Ed Ashurst talk about him. He worked for Ed one time. Okay. We got through Brandon. He said, let's, let's go to Elko and we'll get in help them finish up. So I said, all right, let's go. So we drawed our money that evening, went to Amarillo, stayed all night. Herschel drank a lot of beer. But we gets up next morning, goes to Trinidad. Stops there. He called that Vermejo Park Ranch. Just see if they still branding or something. I think Ted Turner owns that thing now, but anyway, they didn't need nobody, so we made our way on Elko. Took us a couple of days. We stayed one night. Last night out, we just rolled the red rolls out on the side of Salt Lake there, just right on the highway. Got up the next morning, went on in Elko. Went in that Pioneer Hotel, and that 
bartender asked us if we was looking for a job. And they said, yeah, well, we just got town. But we're... So he he walked off. Reckon he come back. Said, Doggy Vaughn will pick y'all up here at 5 o'clock in the morning if you want to go to work for Moffitt's. So it was a big, most, mostly, you know, just BLM land, but they claimed about a million acres, I think. They were still branding, so we we got up. We wanted to lay around the rest a day or two, but thought, well, we better go. So we get on out there. He, they, uh, they burnt coal. They had a wagon, burnt, burnt coal. They didn't work near as many men as J.A.'s or the Matadors did. Their cattle was much gentler. But Herschel just worked there one day and he took off. He said he didn't <laughs> like it. I, start, I started traveling, so I told him, well, I think I'll stay here a while. So we finished, finished branding there in a couple of weeks. They uh, moved the wagon over there to a place called Content. It was it was cow count, but big haymakers. And we, they started. We started putting up hay. It was all horseback, a uh, horse pulls machinery. That's and, cool. Oh God! And my job was to run that sickle mower. Just to cut the hay down, and then somebody else come along wind row it. But anyway, they was had a lever on the left side of that mower. You, you know, it had a seat on it, and when you'd come to a rock or a stump, you mash with your left leg, mash down on that lever. It'd raise that sickle blade up and go over the stump or whatever, but. I was always too slow of getting it up. <laughs> Tore the, the mower up a couple of times. Bernie, the wagon boss, said, I've got two two-year-old horses here that ain't ever been started. You might rather do that than you had run this mower. And I agreed. I told him might be... <laughs> Easier on you if I don't tear it up every day. So he, he was Bernie McClellan. He he was Texas boy. I don't. He'd come from Silverton. That's about fifty miles from where I was born. And so we knew a lot of people that each one of us knew. And so I I started them horses. Farm mess, fiddle around there right after Labor Day. I'm getting homesick. I told Bernie I thought I'd go back home, go back to the JAs. I'd call Mr. Word, and yeah, he said this fix start working, so just come on. So I got on the train and made her back to Texas. That was good experience, you know. I, I, it is different. I run into Waddy Mitchell 
years after that at Abilene one time. I didn't know him, but I knew who he was. And I asked him if he if he knew Bernie, the, the wagon boss there, Moffitt. He said, yes, he did. He knew him, knew him well, but he had passed away. That concludes part one of my interview with Wes O'Neill. Stay tuned for part two coming out in two weeks. Also, as always, if you like what you're listening to, please leave us a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And to put a face behind the name, you can head over to our Instagram page. It's at Cowboy Stories underscore podcast. See you in two weeks. Thank you.